0: Guten Morgen und herzlich willkommen auf the Vorlieg-Unit-Skyptisch-Podcast. Mein Name ist Nathan und...
1: This is for our German listeners, obviously.
0: Und verbinden mich heute ist Craig...
1: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Does not compute. And Susie.
2: Hello, I think.
1: And Chrissy.
3: And Guten Morgan. Well done, thank you, Chrissy.
2: Are we carrying on the whole podcast?
3: <laughs> no. <each other>? no. <laughs> just so we know.
0: No, 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 that's all I had time to to Google Translate.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I double checked it, so I'm pretty sure that's mostly
1: right. You double checked it by translating the Google translation back, back into, into English. English. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did it come out the same? No, that's why I fixed it. I had to fix it. You could have run it by a real German speaker. Uh, if I'd had time, I just did this this morning. I was going to.
0: But I couldn't think of anyone.
2: We
3: don't know what he said.
0: Well, it's the same thing I say every day, so it's not hard to figure out. Get on out. with it. Okay, sorry. So, we have some email from an anonymous listener in Christchurch who does not want to be identified. That narrows it down, though. <laughs> <laughs> you're saying that for some reason people would choose not to be identified as listeners of our podcast.
1: There can't be that many listeners in Christchurch.
0: Oh, I see what you mean. I thought you were going the other way with that. Okay, so if you're in Christchurch... And you listen to the podcast, don't tell anyone because everyone will assume you're this person (laughs) and the chiropractors will come and get you uh, because the chiropractors totally listen to our podcast. Okay, so this is the message from Anonymous Listener. I had to laugh at this. The New Zealand College of Chiropractic is recruiting from the discipline of science on day three at the University of Canterbury Careers Fair. This is a quote from a flyer or something. Monday, 16th May, we will hold exhibitors. For arts, law, science, education, and commerce, the venue will be the inside of a foyer from eight pm to uh, from five to eight. For sure, I will be going along to ask them what the hell they're doing, trying to recruit from science students. Um, so
1: the dropouts, obviously,
0: for, for the chiropractors that are listening. That's the guy that came up to bother you at that booth <laughs> that time. Perhaps you could hurry along the next cusp to include this little gem. Hey, yes, This is a hint that your South Island listener, he's also assuming we have only one. <laughs> Is getting impatient, waiting to hear all your lovely voices again. Oh, isn't that nice? Yes. Um, I should probably apologise for us having uh, missed a month as well. I think it was my fault because I was busy with something. Yeah, yeah was his fault. There we go. That's the support I get from my team. Uh, PPS, seeing as how I'm not a medical student, perhaps the team can suggest a series of pertinent and pointed questions I might ask the chiropractors, along with a series of rebuttals, in case they claim to have signs on their side. Did we do that? Did anyone get back to him on that one?
2: Well, we didn't need to, so he he sort of went off and did his own um, stuff. Um, So I have been uh, in communication with this anonymous um, emailer. So for anybody who doesn't know what chiropractic is about, um, it's the belief that most disease and illness is caused by misalignments of the spine, and that these misalignments cause apparent blockages in the path or the life force or the innate intelligence of our bodies that permeates all our life. And it's a tricky one. So Stephen and I have been arguing about this quite a lot, actually, because um, chiropractic is really well sort of um, – it's, it's quite well almost accepted in kind of medical terms. So there are two kinds of chiropractors. So there's the mixers and the straights. And straights are ones who really believe this stuff, and so they believe will treat anything with chiropractic. And then the mixers are the ones who believe that it is all about lower back pain, which is the only thing that there is any evidence that this chi- that chiropractic is useful for. So they will do it with, you know, will would only do it for lower back pain, not for other things. Or
0: Although they still they still refer to the subluxations. Well, and some of them and do, uh... and some of
2: them don't. So it's a bit tricky. Um, but it was interesting when I was sort of looking up some stuff for this. Um, I went straight back to trickle treatment by um, Simon Singh and Edzard Ernst, and it's a very good chapter, but they um, they conclude that the evidence shows that chiropractor, chiropractic is no more, so it's only effective for low back pain, and then it's no better than physiotherapy at treating low back pain, and in fact physiotherapy is much less dangerous than chiropractic, which Uses unnecessary X-rays can result in dislocations, fractures, torn arteries, strokes. So it's quite a dangerous thing, really. Um, anyway, so our anonymous emailer had did some um, reading, and then he wrote, he wrote some very nice emails to quite a few people at Canterbury University oh, right. so he went all over the place and he cc'd me into into these emails so they've they've sort of he tried everybody really and um, he tried the marketing and people who were involved in setting up the careers fair and so he explained to them that it was you know essentially unscientific um, talked about the sub um, subluxations blah blah blah, blah. Um, and he really didn't get very well very far but he, his email was is great I mean he um, sort of called it a non-science woo-filled debunked profession. We're, we might go a little bit far, but what he was really annoyed about was that that he felt the university were endorsing chiropractic, and by allowing them to recruit from the science students, they were sort of sort of saying it was evidence-based. Anyway, he finally, oh, and then he ends with, um, "I urge you strongly um, to um, to remove these cracks from the fair." Who are we going to see here next? Homeopathy, crystal healers, astrologers? Um, I look forward to your response. So the response was from the um, pro-vice chancellor of the science faculty, and it's very good. So he says, thank you for your email, um, Sort of blah, de, blah, blah, blah. So he felt that a response from the College of Science was, um, was, was appropriate. Um, right. I note your strong reservations regarding complementary therapies in general, and chiropractic in particular. I also note your perspective on the inclusion of the New Zealand Chiropractic Association in the university's careers fair. In response, I should say that, while not being an apologist for chiropractic or any other complementary therapies, I think it is nonetheless helpful to have recourse to the academic evidence base. Such evidence would at least, I believe, question your assertion that chiropractic is a non-science woo field, filled, da-da-da. There has been considerable research in recent years relating to chiropractic, da-da-da-da. Anyway, and then he quotes... Um, he quotes the stuff about it being uh, slightly uh, slightly improving pain and disability in the short term for lower back pain. And then he says, while not being a ringing endorsement, this does indicate that chiropractic is subjected to scientific scrutiny. Anyway.
1: So says, we should give homeopathy a free pass on that basis too.
2: But he raises an interesting point. So he says that... Um, that he, he thinks that it's important for people entering these health professions to have a sound academic science base, which is fair enough. But you'd kind of hope they'd go off and do something. But anyway, okay. Um, but he does say... Um, while I realise this is not the response for which you are hoping, I do trust that you realise that we need to move from an established evidence base as opposed to opinion in relation to specific areas in, import of employment. It is Im- also important to note that the purpose of a careers and employment fair is not to endorse any particular form of business profession. Were we to remove all those potential employers to whom sections of society have ethical obje- obligations, sorry objections it would make facilitating such an event somewhat <laughs> difficult. And he's right. He's right. Kind of where do You draw the line. I can see why Anonymous is annoyed. I can see his point too. Stephen and I argued about this a lot when we were, when when I was thinking about this. Um, but I just love the fact that he says, you know, what what um, what Anonymous mentions in his email is homeopathy, crystal healers, and astrologers. And then the the um, Provise Chancellor says, "I note your strong reservations regarding com- complementary therapies." <laughs> I just thought it was quite funny. So there you go. I mean, thank you for bringing it to our attention. Um, and well I've, done. Yeah, yeah, well done for for doing your. Um, so what you we know. need
0: is more activism, and uh, we're always happy to help. Even <laughs> even, even when we do, do. even when we don't, we are all very busy people, of course. Um, but if we something quick and easy, we can do to help.
2: I, I did blog about it. So I, what I was hoping was a few people but from Christchurch might go. But
3: but have you ever been to a, 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 go, a chiropractor? But, a chiropractor. And they tell you you need to come for ten to twelve times. So that, how do they mm. know? I'm it's struggling with business. this at the moment because my brother is
2: apparently spending a hundred
3: pounds. So what's
2: that? Like two hundred and fifty bucks right a top. week on a chiropractor?
1: No, it's a little under two hundred at the moment. <laughs> is it? <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. It's about one hundred and ninety-five dollars. <laughs> oh my
2: God! But a week going to see one and. He's had back pain for a long time, and it's like, oh, God. So is it the type of back pain that actually he should see a chiropractor? Although what Ed Ernst is saying is he should see a physio, and then he's not, not got a, such a chance of having a stroke. But I haven't spoken to him about it yet, and I really kind of well, should.
1: He, well, he should probably see his doctor first and see what but the doctor recommends. his doctor recommends. was
2: the one who, who sent him to the chiropractor. Oh.
0: So the problem with um, chiropractic is, for most people, they just think of it as a different sort of doctor. And i tell you what's really awesome, and I, I grin every time they, they make a joke about it, is Two and a Half Men a TV show. And co- uh, Charlie Sheen is constantly haranguing his brother about how he's not a real doctor and how chiropractic's just this big joke. And I always like it when a um, main, mainstream sort of show like that can throw things like that out. Even
1: if it show. is somebody as crazy as... Charlie Sheen <laughs> promoting the idea.
2: But you know, they they only they are only allowed to use the title doctor in an honorary sense, and they have to they have to say that it's a doctor of chiropractic, or that you know they so they're not then they're, they're not a real doctor. Um,
0: but then they don't say that, do they? They, they don't say they, I'm they a they doctor of chiropractic. That. that means I'm not a real doctor. But
2: that's the only reason they're allowed to use the title is if they say what they that they're a doctor. But they
0: don't they don't add that bit on the end as well. Yeah, but
2: that's against the law. What
0: I'm saying is they don't say. I'm a doctor of chiropractic, that means I'm not a real doctor. They leave no, off the important bit again. <laughs> <of laughs> and most people just assume the doctor to them means doctor. So, yeah. Anyway, yes. So we've answered that. And, um, yes, do, do send us your questions, and we will try and help you out when and where we can, uh, especially if you're doing some activism, and we'd love to hear about
1: it. Speaking of activism and, and something that wasn't actually on the agenda, but I think we should mention anyway, is the... Um, the coming demise of TVNZ7. That TVNZ7 is going to be defunded and uh, that we should be up in arms about it because when it's a source gonna of. Happen? To sort well, I think sometime around the middle of next year, middle of 2012, TVNZ7 is going to finish broadcasting. Right, and it really is sure. a source of um, really a lot of good quality New Zealand content and science based programs. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of very good documentary stuff on there
0: now i i have to um devil's advocate here when you say up in arms what do you want who to do about it because right. if it's not right making money the
1: politicians
0: but if it's not making money
2: it's not supposed to make money
0: though it's not, a, no. I mean, it's, it's not advertising to, yeah. doesn't not have advertising
1: so how can oh, it make okay. money
0: so is it f- some funding that they get and it's going to be cut or something Yeah.
2: yeah okay
0: Oh well that's fair enough then.
2: Make a formal complaint.
1: There is actually a website dedicated to it, and if you give me a moment I should be able to find it. Save TVNZ7 on Facebook, which I've just liked. um, Issues.co.nz slash Save TVNZ7. So TVNZ7 is under threat. The government has chosen to stop funding TVNZ7 after mid-2012. With the election looming, now is the time to talk about TVNZ7 and Public Service Television with your candidates. Let's make this an election issue and leverage some funding for TVNZ7 after the election. We have support from across the political spectrum. Lots of people recognise quality television when they see it. And with a bit of good old Kiwi assertiveness, we can save TVNZ7. So, yeah, go to the website and um, there's, there's videos on there about it. I think it's uh, worthwhile.
0: And if someone wanted to watch TVNZ7, I assume this it's is only on, on
1: Freeview, TV. yes.
0: Um, but they do have a website where you can, on demand, yes? I have I have seen some material. I did I did see something, I think it was on T V N Z seven which was a debate and Matthew Dentith was on. Oh okay. Debating about conspiracies or talking about conspiracies. You'll remember Matthew Dentith from our second episode.
3: I saw him on TV, the interview. I think
0: that was tvnz seven. Um yeah, so we mentioned that, which was a notice board item, I suppose, which brings us to our other notice board items.
1: Nice segue.
3: It was a good one. Thank you. Well done. Well done.
0: But I have someone who's in charge of segue. So, probably the most important thing to mention is the Skeptics Conference, which is coming up in August. This is Friday the 26th of August to the 28th of August. It's at the Rochester Rutherford Halls at the University, is my understanding. It's in
1: Christchurch. There are two universities in Christchurch, Lincoln University and Canterbury University. Ah,
0: well it's 77 Liam Road, Christchurch. Look, just go anyway, to the, we'll find out. Go to, the, go to the bloody skeptics website and look it up. You don't really need to know where it is now. You need to know where it is later when you actually get down there.
3: But we know it is Christchurch. It is definitely in Christchurch, the and they have Quake city central.
0: Definitely not cancelled it, so it's definitely going ahead. So it's only ninety dollars plus, I think thirty if you want to do the dinner as well. Conference sessions, as always, will cover a large field of fascinating issues with presentations on skeptical thinking at home in the classroom, and in society at large. Panel discussions, uh, sorry, panel sessions where people get to debate the issues and discuss the responses, and as always, lots of entertaining activities and though-provoking ideas.
3: (laughs) That's what it says.
0: Blah, blah, blah. we are still seeking speakers, so if you've got an idea for someone who might be able to talk at the conference, send them a message on the website. I know there is a couple of um, overseas speakers this year coming from Australia. I believe Kylie Sturgis is coming, um, although I'm not sure if that's officially confirmed or not, but you can check out the website if you really want to know. Oh, there it is. Host of the Token Skeptic podcast, Stu Lansborough, founder of Wanaka's Puzzling World, has sponsored a psychic challenge and has had some... It doesn't say he's speaking, it just mentions him. Wanaka! Um, what? Wanaka. What did I say?
1: Wanaka. <laughs> It sounded weird. Oh, okay. Wanaka. It
0: doesn't say he's speaking, but it mentions him there, so that'll be quite exciting if he is actually speaking, because uh, I've actually been trying to get hold of him for a while to see if he'll do this an in interview, and if he's at the conference, he can't get away. <laughs> and um, Dr. Martin Bridgestock is also coming from Australia, and he's on my list of people um, to interview, and uh, he actually, uh, we, we were emailing at one point. So uh, if he's going to be here, I'll um, nab him while he's there. Check out the skeptics.org.nz website and register now before it fills up. Anything else we need to say about that?
3: Sounds fascinating, though. Sure, it will be a blast. Yep. Right.
0: So if you're in Auckland. On or about the 10th of June, keep an eye out for the NZARH's uh, exhibition.
1: Who are the NZARH, Nathan? The
0: NZARH is the New Zealand Association of Rationalists and Humanists. And they are sponsoring or hosting the Blasphemy exhibition, which is the work of artist Nicola Romney. The exhibition will be open for a week at Rationalist House on Simon Street from 10 to 4 every day. The theme of the work is robust critique of religion. So that should be quite interesting. Um, and that's opening on June 10th. I think there's an um, official opening event of some sort at 5.30 on June the 10th. Rationalist House, 64 Simon Street. Okay, that is the notice board done. So, uh, on to the news, and probably the biggest, most exciting news.
3: The
0: rapture may, may or may not have happened, but at any rate, we're all still here, and the world seems to be continuing more or less the same as it was as it. before the 12th of
1: Until October
0: when the actual rapture is going to happen. Well no, that no, was that was world. actually
1: that was actually his predicted date. Apparently it was October twenty first and yeah. he, what he's saying now is the rapture actually did happen, but it wasn't really the earthquakes thing that he predicted predicted, but it was like more of a spiritual
3: Oh, that's right. It was a spiritual thing. The Christian souls disappear. Did you not feel it, Nathan?
0: No, no, I missed that all.
2: <laughs> six PM. What I love is that um, the family radio site have completely revamped themselves. So you know, for ages it was just about the um, it was about the rapture, and now they've, there's something else. But I did find another site that had the countdown,
3: and the countdown just said zero months, zero days.
1: <laughs> well, it hasn't gone into negatives.
3: No, <laughs> it hasn't gone into negatives. I did read a newspaper in the paper about that. That he said, yeah, what Craig said, it was just um, the rapture it was a spiritual evening. Spiritual rapture. Okay, uh, he got he got it wrong about yeah. the. Um,
1: well, maybe we'll have a spiritual end of the world on October twenty first. Yes. Well we don't want to talk
0: about this particularly much to be honest because quite
2: frankly Well we had a good party. it yes, was a great party. Are we gonna to
1: have to have another rapture party Absolutely. in October I think we so. might
0: yes, that did go quite well. That I was did quite go well. quite yep. pleased with that. Um well done, Rainer. Yes. And Rachel for organising that. They
2: did fantastically,
3: and Raina Surprise. did really well with her little
0: thing on the she news. Was on TV. She was too, and you might have seen <laughs> me and Craig blowing up balloons. Yes, <laughs> on the TV three news. I won
3: a prize for my costume. Did you? Oh, you did. That's I right. That. that was quite
2: a well done. Her saucy police woman. Oh yes,
0: it was too. Who else was the other costumes that were worth mentioning? Was um, the Jesus, the VRB Jesus. Be right back. I like that one. VRB LOL Jesus. Um, Susie's making some sort of weird, obscene gesture at me. There was, there was me. a
2: woman with just had a, had the most voluptuous bosoms, and she won a prize for her costume. Unsurprisingly, she did. Just,
0: yes, I think she was dressed up as a goth. Well, that's what they referred to her as. All oh, right. She might was have that just, just been. not
2: just
0: her normal? I don't know. <laughs> uh, she accepted her prize anyway, so she was happy Good. with that. One guy just came dressed up as a priest. I'm Not sure if that was a costume or whether that's just his normal. Where it was Workloads. a prison. <laughs> but at any rate, it was quite funny. The only other thing that's worth mentioning, of course, is the uh, depressing side of the rapture predictions. According to Vicky Hyde of the New Zealand Skeptics, um, two deaths that are thought to be related to the rapture prediction, uh, suicides.
2: Only two, though. This only is two- Well,
0: that's what she said. It says only two deaths, which is which is good in some respects. Uh, as it could have been a lot worse.
1: There was a woman who tried to murder her children.
3: There were people that sold their homes. That's the other thing that happened, of
0: course, is people sold their properties, gave, their gave all their money out. away, quit their jobs, left their studies and whatnot, and euthanized their pets. So I guess you could... You mean they didn't
2: take, make use of the um, atheists? The rapture uh, yes, pet pets
0: services? Pets. No, <laughs> apparently not. So, yeah, and I'd, I think um Robert from The Rock radio station said it the best, it should be locked up. Honestly, um guys are menace good so let's not talk
3: about him anymore
1: the uh, the important point that a lot of people are making is that uh, a lot of people in the religious world were laughing at Harold camping for saying that this was going to happen on the May the 21st and so on but really it's not the fact that he said it's going to happen on this particular date but it's the fact that everybody who's everybody but every all those religious people actually believe that this at some point in time is going yes. to happen that's the ridiculous part about it.
0: Um, and what's actually interesting is uh, I read in an article the other day, uh, I was under the assumption that it was just sort of his little culty group that was going to get raptured. But someone threw around the number that 200-some-odd million Christians were going to get raptured. So it's possible that he was actually expecting everyone to
1: go, not just his own little personal group.
3: Well, it's only 10 of them, isn't there?
1: Oh, probably <laughs> a few more than that, but yeah. Presumably you have to be a true Christian, in order to be raptured. Mm.
0: Well, he's, his numbers for that number of true Christians seem quite large to me. Uh, I don't have the actual figures of what his group was. I don't know that anyone does, but it seemed like uh, a large number to me. So, that's enough of that. Moving on to Susie. Tell us about homeopathy in Australia. Well, it's
2: under attack. Oh, is it? It is. Oh, it's a shame. Is. <laughs> It's come under its most powerful attack yet by the Australian Health Ethics Committee, which is part of the National Health and Medical Research Council. They have just drafted a public statement on homeopathy. Um, it is uh, it is unethical for health practitioners to treat patients using homeopathy for the reason that homeopathy has not been shown to be efficacious. Um, they They aim to recommend that health funds not be rebated for patients using homeopathy aims. Their position is based on the findings of the UK House of Commons um, Science and Technology Committee, which did the um, homeopathy evidence check that we talked about last year, um, where various people came and talked about homeopathy, and then they went away and they thought about all the evidence, and they came back saying, it's a load of nonsense. Um, So there's a... Uh, homeopathy plus alert um, has written an article saying this is outrageous um, in fact what they say is um, if you wish to protect your right to treatment um, of your choosing make an official complaint to the, the these Australians um, they must respond to you and a letter is more effective than email in fact tell them um, t- contact the health minister as well and um, It's really funny. So they say, tell them about your experience with homeopathy as a practitioner or client. If it has been the case, describe how usual medical treatment was not effective for you. Emphasise it is unethical to have your healthcare choices compromised for dubious reasons. Okay.
1: In other words, just send in testimonials. Yes.
2: Yes. (laughs) But they're saying that um, they believe the public is being misled by this committee because it's strongly biased against homeopathy. And... um, or the the UK committee was strongly biased because they didn't consult adequately with homeopathic organisations. And this is a load of nonsense. Say bollocks. Say load of bollocks. Bollocks. It's a load of bollocks. So they had a number of witnesses who were called before the committee to give evidence. And four out of nine of those were pro-homeopathy. So they had the... um, director of uh, Boots the chemist who is one of the major retailers of homeopathic remedies Homeo- homeopathic things In
0: to be fair I'm not sure he's necessarily pro no, but didn't didn't he say at one point in yes, his there's testimony no evidence.
2: he had to say there was no evidence because there isn't any evidence Does that make him pro? Didn't he
0: just say, we're only selling it because people want to buy it?
2: Well, well, he also, when pushed, said that. But anyway, okay. So, all right. So, maybe they only had three. So, they had the um, chairman of the British Association of Homeopathic Manufacturers. They had um, the director of research for the Royal London Homeopathic Hospital. And they also had somebody who was from the British Homeopathic Association. So, they weren't underrepresented.
0: Where else could you go for more people to ask?
2: They just happened to be facing Ben Goldacre. It's not (laughs) Ernst. people who know what they're talking about i also today went through all the written evidence that was sent to the committee so they accepted and and the written evidence the vast majority of it is pro-homeopathy but the number of neg you know no homeopathy were the ones who gave the sound science anyway so they had written evidence from homeopaths from people who have taken homeopathy. They had the Northern Ireland Association of Homeopaths, the Lakeland College of Homeopathy, the European Committee for Homeopathy, the, the adventure of the Neuroscope, which I've meant to look up what it was, <laughs> but it sounds funny. Um, it just it goes on and on and on. They, so to say that they weren't consulted is absolutely nonsense. That's a lie. It is a lie. That's a lie. It is a lie. And, why, and it had, they had written evidence from people from the US, from Germany, from India, all pro-homeopathy. But the stuff, I mean, it's hilarious. So, some of it, they have all the physics. Somebody actually wrote and did graphs and everything about the physics of water memory. And, you know, as a scientist, when I see these graphs, they make me laugh because they don't have any error bars on them. They're all nonsense. Anyway, so to say that, say that they didn't consult and that they were strongly biased is um, nonsense. And I urge everybody to contact the council to say that they, um, you know, that they, to dry out the homeopaths, to say that, you know, well done, well done for attacking homeopathy. Um, so I think I shall, we shall put a link to this, and we shall try and get people to, to yeah.
0: Especially if there's anyone listening in Australia. Yeah. Which I'm sure there isn't, because I'm sure they feel the same way about our accent that we do about this. <laughs> <yours. laughs>
2: I'm not going to say anything there. Um, yeah, so there you go, homeopathy under attack, which
0: leads us leads to... us on to. Go on, then you do the segue. <laughs>
2: He's onto the news that Edzard Ernst is retiring. No,
0: no. <laughs> Which
2: I guess the the um the dice was rolled a few years ago when he attacked this foundation that Prince Charles um uh, I don't know whether he runs it or whether he's a patron of it, but it's a, you know, it's a, it's a woo-wee one. And um, essentially after that. Well he Prince did. Charles, Prince Charles, Charles doesn't do sacked. any real work actually. Right, no. But Prince Charles had tried to have him sacked. So for anyone who doesn't know, Edzard Ernst is the um, professor of complementary medicine at Exeter, and he—I mean—he's one of the main dudes who actually really believes that. Okay, if you're gonna, you know, if we can't just say this is woo because it's based on no scientific principles. Let's show them that it doesn't work. So you know, he was the one who came up with the um, the sham acupuncture needles. You know, he's doing all this amazing science, and and which of course is all coming out on the side of the. That complementary medicine is complete bollocks. There we go, I'll say it. Um, but yeah, he's essentially been forced to retire early, and um, it's very unclear what's going to happen to this department.
0: So, do you think this is something that's come down from people like Prince Charles? I don't know. They're pressuring the research? Well, they people. certainly
2: did. Well, whether they would be pressuring. I, as, as I'm not quite clear what the deal is with the funding for his um, for his department, but they certainly got a big endowment, which the university was supposed to match, and they never did, or that they were supposed to take on and they haven't done after that endowment finished. So it's kind of unclear. Um, and I was sort of thinking that maybe there wasn't anybody left, but I think there, might, there must be some people who will be doing good science to test this stuff. But, you know, he's been such a vocal... Kind of well, like I guess one of the good things about this is that you know he, although he won't be doing the science anymore, he's not he's not going to go away, and he's still he's still you know vlogs and stuff. You'll have more free time to do. But other then things. you know, will he lose his? Um, if he's not doing the science anymore, will he? You know, will he lose his? Not lose his credibility, but you know, if he's not right. doing it anymore. Anyway, so it's really sad news. It's it's really sad news. Yeah. But. And I'm just looking at
0: that headline your shoulder there Susie
2: pretend medicine has healing power what's that
0: about is that about it's, audience, it? it's
2: just it's an article from the Economist that, that came in this um, in the Herald about it but it was just talking about placebo so he says that um, conventional doc- doctors can learn a lot from chiropractics homeopaths um, and that is that is the therapeutic value of the placebo effect right. so the fact that you spend a lot of time, time with, your, with patients. your patients and they're relaxed and um, and the uh, if you believe passionately in your in your woo, you know that makes it even stronger. So he's he's just saying we should sit up and and that take is in the this. Herald. Yeah, this is the Weekend
0: Herald. This Weekend week. Herald. This week's. Of course, when we say this, this week, week, it's probably a couple <laughs> of weeks ago. ago.
3: <laughs> but haven't you been driving around and saying looking for a car park? And go, I'm going to find a car park right outside. And you do? What? No. <laughs> Has it never happened to you? Well, I don't drive, so oh no, it wouldn't <laughs> happen to you. <laughs> I
0: normally just grab the first car park I see.
3: I wonder what people would waste call that. Waste they waste. probably think it's that. That's what I'm getting to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, right. You're right.
0: You're talking about confirmation bias, and remembering the hits yeah. and positive. Hey, I'll thinking.
3: get a park right outside, and they do, and they go, "See, what to. they do
2: say though." Um, alternative medicine is big business, since it's largely unregulated. Reliable statistics are hard to come by. Around the world, according to an estimate made in 2008, the industry value is about US $60 billion. They've got so it's you know they've got a vested interest in this stuff being being peddled. Yep. Anyway, there you go.
0: Okay. Which leads us into oh it doesn't really does it? We <laughs> um, <laughs> We're
1: going to run out of segues at some point.
0: <laughs> so uh, next article is Chrissy who wants to talk about
3: cancer and cannabis. Yes, on my Facebook today I got a link saying cannabis cures cancer. So I thought oh I better look at that one because you know people a lot of cancer around, so I went on a couple of links, apparently um, the US government holds a patent on medical marijuana, and also they've known about it since 1974, but they're keeping it obviously. Apparently? Apparently.
0: Inverted commas? Of course.
3: So I go on to a couple of links and I find that there's a lot of um, research on this can cure lung cancer. It can cure a heart 50%. Have you not heard this? I haven't. This is astonishing.
1: I think it's more likely to give you lung cancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, but they're not talking about smoking it. Oh. You see, I see. they're talking about um, a no, um, creams, the tincture. And then I found a site that they said there's a link that this guy had skin cancer on his nose and he rubbed the oil on and cured that completely. Pictures of people with the creams that the doctors gave them progression pictures and showed but you why how would bad would the their face be got. giving
2: them cream for do you, is this how you treat skin cancer? You
3: well it's a um, chemotherapy cream, he said. This is what he said. But then when I went on to um I had a look on the you know, the sites that said this Jesus Christ was using it. Oh really? In the, in the Bible. Yeah. Right. Incense is made from it, they said there's a little bit of um that in it and they're saying that people if putting people people nowadays putting people down if they have anything to do with cannabis could be considered anti-christ right
0: that, that all makes complete and utter sense to me <laughs> so what you're suggesting is this is how jesus performed his miracles as he was actually just rubbing cannabis on them
3: that's what it says in the bible right yes have you not read that in the bible i must have missed that page <laughs> surprisingly
1: no no, idea. <laughs> maybe the people were smoking up, and then they got the munchies,
0: <laughs> and that's why they needed the loaves and fishes. You could certainly
1: explain a lot of the Bible
0: with drug use.
3: The cream, I'm talking about, he didn't smoke it, hmm. didn't do that, but um, he Is anointed his he anointed people with it, and that's how he healed them.
1: Ah, those are the oils that he was using for anointing people.
3: That's the oils that he right. was using. It had cannabis mud. in he just
1: it.
0: just mixed a bit of cannabis in with it. Right, okay. Is
1: anybody studying this seriously?
3: Yes, there are serious studies done on it. And I'm just trying to find the guy's name.
0: So Susie can look him up on PubMed or whatever.
3: I just had it a minute ago. and now uh, There's a number, David J. Stewart. That wasn't the guy that I was talking about before. I was looking at...
0: <coughs> well... I think you can put me firmly down in the sceptical category for that one. <laughs> we'll see what Susie comes back with.
3: Yeah. There's been lots of studies done on a Carl Ruck, Professor of maths, uh, Classical Mythology at Boston University.
1: He's not studying the science side of things. Antitrimal
3: action of
2: cannabinoids on um, hepatocellular carcinoma. Adverse effects of cannabis. Um, there's a lot
3: on it.
1: So you're saying there is actually some real research.
2: Well, there's there's different stuff on it. Okay.
1: So I wonder what the legality of it is uh, um, here. There's so also
3: was, small cell lung cancer in a 26 year old man with significant cannabis exposure. Yeah. This is oh here it is. I've got this Chris Bennett. Chris Bennett did a study. They said the study suggests that Jesus and his disciples used the drug to carry out miraculous healings. The anointing oil used by Jesus and his disciples contained an ingredient yes. called cannabosum. But when it they say study, as cannabis do they extract? mean
0: Bible study or do they mean scientific study? Because I think maybe they're getting their terms confused here. Look, you never know. No, but I can make some intelligent guesses.
3: Well, who's this Carl Rock? Does anyone know about anything about him?
0: Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll put it on our list of things to research and we'll come back well, next Well, there's certainly month?
3: something here. So I found a, um, how do I pronounce this? Evidence? There's archaeological evidence archaeological evidence I don't think that's the kind of evidence we're looking for (laughs) no I'm just saying well there may (laughs) well be
1: there may well be evidence that Jesus and his followers actually used cannabis
2: right there's certainly a paper here that talks about um, one of the major non-psychoactive constituents of cannabis having um, in vitro and in vivo activity against tumour cells
3: nice
2: Um, so I guess what we'll have a look so it induces cell death in breast cancer cells um
0: I just find it a little bit hard to believe that it can just kill cancer, because cancers are known for being very hard to to target and kill.
2: We'll look, we'll look this one up. There's definitely some stuff there. on. If it's, if it's the...
3: interesting, we'll bring
0: it back next month.
3: Might not be interesting enough.
2: No, it's
0: mean, certainly interesting. I think Stephen Fry would probably give you five points for that.
2: But... <laughs> <laughs> but I guess the point is, there's clearly research going on, and if it was at the stage of actually being, if they knew what the mechanism was, and they would doing stuff in people they would be doing stuff in people Mm. clearly it's either not as good at targeting or you know
0: i think possibly what someone's done is they've typed to do what you just did typed cannabis into the uh, into the search engine found a couple of papers and then made some some vast leaps of assumption and started promoting it on their website. But they certainly
2: say, they just, I'm just looking at the abstract, and they say that it's got in vitro and in vivo activity. So I'll go and mm-hmm. find those papers and have a look at what they say.
0: Yeah, so we'll bring that back to you next episode. The next thing that is, uh, I'm trying to think of a great segue here, and I've got nothing. So Craig, tell us about the telomere DNA test that you can do now. Who wants to know when they're going to die?
1: well indeed is that what
2: it actually tells you well
1: Well, in a sense apparently there is this now this um, test available uh, by a commercial company in the uk where you give them your blood and they analyze the length of the telomeres in your blood to figure out how long you've got left to live
2: Should we tell everybody what a telomere is
1: so the telomere is the endings on the on your chromosomes and like the bit at the end of your shoelace which is called an aglet, by Aglet, the way. yes. <laughs> yes, everybody knows that, Nathan. Oh, I thought I was being really clever. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, so so as, um, as you age, as your cells age, uh, the telomeres get shorter. And they're, they're essentially the bit, the bit of DNA on the end of your chromosomes that um, doesn't need to be replicated. But, uh, but after a certain number of uh, generations... Uh, you end up running out of the telomere at the end of the chromosomes, which can cause um, abnormalities and cell replications, and then uh, supposedly give you some sort of disease that's going to kill you. So uh, the, the general principle is that if you can measure how long your telomeres are in your blood, then you can say, well, this person's got long telomeres, and so that it's likely that they've got a long time to live, versus person with short telomeres who's uh, got a matter of years uh, to live from the point of
0: view of their cells as opposed yes, to just indeed a, an absolute number
2: yeah they're not going to be able to tell you they're going to be run over by a bus tomorrow and they?
1: they're giving you a rough time frame i'm guessing you've got about you've got this this many years to before you die a natural death uh, so that doesn't necessarily mean that you're <laughs> that you've got this many years to live uh, before you get run over by a bus or die in a horrible car accident or or, or um, somebody kills you. So Any I wonder debates. whether I wonder h- how predictive it really is. Um, I guess the debate really is about around uh, that if this technology improves so that it is actually pretty accurate, then obviously life insurance companies are likely to to want to know this information so that they can uh, adjust your premiums according to how long you're likely to live.
3: Mm. The,
2: so there's a couple of little articles I read about this. Um, one um, says that, um, that there's lots of reasons, uh, so there's lots of things that can affect the telomeres. So um, lifestyle, environment, inherited factors, and that actually across the population there's quite a, a range in what's considered normal. And so just knowing whether you're a long or a short isn't really helpful. What you need to know is
3: How, quick how quickly it's been consumed. Yeah. How yes. quickly
2: they're changing.
1: Which so. I assume is what this test measures. Is mm, it, are, Well no no. no. I, I think it's a snapshot point in say, time and say how go long go. is your telomere? How long are you me? What you
2: really want to do is do it a year later. Are you sure
0: about that? Because I'm pretty sure the test was actually measuring the speed that they the telemeters is. How can they not? Are they
1: just Well, you need to take several take samples? It, take a few samples. Yeah. Well that's what they do. Isn't it? I think you're making this stuff up.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what I read. Well what otherwise what's the point? Is you just said that you can't know just by the length of
2: the telemets. Well,
1: you need Nathan, to know the
2: speed. What is the point in somebody coming up with so many of these tests? Four hundred pounds a test? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's right. the point. Okay. We'll do
1: it for half the price. <laughs> send us your blood and we'll send <laughs> you a random
3: number. <laughs> and we'll just make something up. I
1: wonder too whether and I think that that's a good point about the um the Statistical distribution of um, of length of telomeres as to whether this is similar kind of to to the BMI, the body mass index, in that they've got the predictive um, capability of it the wrong way round. In that um, if you have a particular BMI, it doesn't mean that you are. If you have a high BMI, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are unhealthy. But statistically, people with high BMIs across the population are tend to be overweight. So I, w- I wonder whether it's similar to this, this sort of thing here, that you, if you look at the length of the telomere, whether you can say you've got this long to live or whether you can go the other way around and say that people, people with, with that this telomere. length of telomere on average tend to live this this particular length of time. So, But, I mean, it also comes back to the ethics of actually wanting... whether you whether it's ethical to tell somebody how long they've got to live and would you change your, your lifestyle um, in order to... Would you live differently if you knew that you're only likely you to live another five years? Definitely,
3: yeah. you would.
0: Oh, I don't
1: know. I'd like to think I wouldn't. We'd still do the podcast, thing. think.
0: Oh, of course, we would. Yes. That we'd do we'd do double the number of podcasts, <laughs> so we can save some up. <laughs> yeah.
3: So that when oh, I'm dead, <laughs> yeah, you guys can still be listening to me. Uh well, Oprah Winfrey used to do two shows a tape, two shows a day, so she can do it. We can do
0: it. You're saying <laughs> yeah. we're as good as Oprah Winfrey,
3: aren't we? <laughs> maybe not as rich but we're
0: as good as and you're all getting a free car (laughs) (laughs) or something I don't actually
2: watch it can't watch it anymore hasn't she finished now
1: I don't know well she has recorded her last show yes
2: yay
0: so this looks like an update to me Susie arsenical bacteria
2: yeah so you remember a little while ago we talked about um, the bacteria that proved that life could evolve on other planets because um, this bacteria um, although it wasn't uh, isolated on another planet, um, was wasn't using. I was using arsenic as one of its major components instead of phosphorus.
0: So it was the power source. Effective, it was the ATP. Wasn't
2: and everything, everything. Oh, okay. So it's in all, all, all sorts through. of things, in DNA and everything. Okay. Um and uh, the I think it was NASA scientists. They did a massive press release, and it was just the thing that it got hyped beyond belief. It's a science paper. And very quickly the um, blogosphere became, you know, became alive with um, with criticisms of it, which we've pretty much all talked about. And the only reason I wanted to bring it up now is because the um, print version of the science paper is about to come out, um, and they've put um, a number of commentaries alongside it. Um, so there are eight commentaries uh, that all uh, go along the same lines of, you know, here is a criticism for it. Um, the data is inconsistent. Uh, they need to do this, this, and this. So it's great that um, that science are publishing these alongside the the um, paper. Have
1: they only recently started doing this?
2: You, they well, no, they well, they. It's not unknown for them to do this kind of thing. Although saying that, they um, I just heard recently the guy who reproduced um, Daryl Bem's uh, work. And, or, sorry, he he didn't reproduce. Reproduce the, he, didn't re, he didn't reproduce the results. They did it all and they found the, the, that, it wasn't, uh, that it didn't this work. This was the psychics. Yeah, he sent it to the, the same future. journal and they refused to accept it because it was a re- replication of the work and they don't do replication of work. Anyway, so that was quite funny and I'm not quite sure where he's going to send it. But yeah, so this is um, everybody saying expl- saying what they would need to do to show it and that actually the data was flawed, the mechanisms were flawed. um, so there you go. So if anybody wants to read it, so we'll they're all open access as well, so you can look at all the comments. That's good.
0: So we'll put a link to that up on the
2: Yeah, they're pretty dry.
1: So do you think it would ever get to the point where there was uh, enough ne- negative response to a paper that then science would say, well, it's not even worth publishing this now because actually it's it's got such a bad reaction that um, that we should have picked reaction. this up in peer review? <laughs> That's a
2: tricky thing because, you know, my feeling is they would publish it anyway because if people who don't have a subscription, they'd have to pay to see the original article. So, oh, it's, a, uh, it's a tricky, tricky thing. I mean, it's right. All of the stuff should have been picked up at peer review and why wasn't it? So, you know, who are those peer reviewers and what did they actually say about it? That would be more interesting. If they could anonymise that and put that online, that would be very revealing.
0: It's a good example of... Um I don't know what you'd call it, distributed science, sciencing or something, science on the internet, mm. where the results are published, everyone gets a look at it, and then everyone comments. Yeah. And stuff happened. It happened very, very quickly. It was the day oh, after. Oh yeah, yeah. Like
2: a couple of days later, everybody's digested it, and
0: this is before it had even been officially published. Yeah.
2: So as soon as it, because what tends to happen is a paper will be will be, um, appear, and it will appear online first. So and some some journals even put things before they've so they've accepted a paper and then they'll put it online straight away, and it's before it's even been typeset or anything, mm-hmm. before it's even been corrected by the authors. They'll put it on. The journals are different. Um, But that means that it's available to most people if you've got a subscription, and then you can read it, you know, as soon instead of because it's taken six months for it to appear in print. And presumably, most
1: people have online subscriptions these days anyway, because they want to see it sooner than six months. Yay for science!
2: Shouldn't have got there in well, you know, how did it get there in the first place?
0: And uh, from arsenical bacteria, that leads us nicely into the next topic, which (laughs) is. Chrissy talking about how atheists have
3: better sex. Yes, it might be a bit of a misnomer not with how. the um <laughs> yeah, with the yeah, I'm not gonna show you how. Um with have better sex, but they're talking about um the guilt of it. They're saying that some religious people can have guilt after having intercourse for up to two weeks. They have intercourse for two weeks? No, no, no. <laughs> they have guilt for two weeks. <laughs> they probably have intercourse for one minute. Maybe. <laughs>
1: So, so if you have guilt, if you have intercourse at least once a week, then you pretty much got permanent guilt.
3: (laughs) You're you're just guilty. I mean, they're saying that um, you know Mormons seem to have more guilt than um, than others. They 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 seem to longer. They have longer. That's
0: yeah. That's one of the surprising results, wasn't it? Was that the Catholics didn't win?
3: I know. I was quite surprised. I thought they'd be at the top. Yeah.
0: So Mormons Mormons won. Wasn't that because they had more wives? Uh, More sex maybe, more guilt, I don't
3: know So there's all, in all different papers There's lots of things, so they're saying atheists do it better That's a new survey And there's lots of books on it that I'm reading People are writing books Sex and Secularism by Daryl Ray Author of The God Virus How God Infects Our Lives and Culture Have you read that one Nathan? Um, I don't think I have (laughs) Thought you might have but that's, that's the sad thing about it. They're just talking about the guilt. They're talking about people they still have, even religious people, they do still have their fantasies. And um, what they were saying was, oh, sex and masturbation and things like that. But they just felt guilty.
0: So what they've done is they've, they've interviewed people from their recollection of what it was like when they were religious. It's my understanding of how they've done that. And then they've asked them about post- so it starts with A, aposty. Thank you, aposty. And how they feel about it now, as opposed to how they re- remember feeling about it. So it's probably a starting point for more research. But it is an interesting result.
3: Well, they're saying that doesn't stop them doing it, religious people.
0: So, yes, they, they all have about the same amount of sex, and they do about the same sort of things as yes, well. Yes, yeah. But they just they feel guilty about yeah, it. So
3: that's where they're saying that atheists have better sex, because we don't suffer the... After effect.
1: So, best is probably not the um, the right term. But guilt-free, or maybe from a religious person's perspective, maybe they see it as well. The atheists, uh, now that they are no longer believing in God, are suppressing their guilt. Yeah, probably. There's bound to be some sort but of. they say
3: the Mormons were what 8.1, and um, atheists and agnostics ranked themselves 4.71 and 4.81. I like that one at the end a precise number. Oh, this is on the scale of one to ten, with one
2: being no sexual guilt and ten being yeah. extreme sexual guilt. Yeah. Atheists and agnostics were in the middle, but... Oh, you've got that one. Yeah. Oh, it's hardly diff- that different. <laughs> so the Lutherans were 5.88, 6.34 for the Catholics, That's all the way yeah. up to a whopping 8.19 for the Mormons. Of people raised in very religious homes, 22.5% said they were shamed or ridiculed for masturbating, just to get compared to only 5% of people brought up in the least religious homes. There you go.
0: That's a good result.
2: Anyway, it was certainly... So 14,500 people were surveyed, um, atheists, agnostics, and other people in the secular community. So it was quite selected. But, I mean, it's hard to see how it wouldn't be. You know, I mean, the the, the one of the things that religions are renowned for doing is making you feel shit about your body and feeling shit about wanting to have sex with somebody or do all those kinds of things and feel guilty about not, you know.
0: So from the point of view that it's the expected result as well, you've got the possibility that people are report, reporting mm. the expected response and it's not necessarily um, accurate. But it still was very interesting and it had the word sex in it. So, yeah, so that's so kind of how we brought it up. Pretty much automatically guaranteed to get on our podcast. It has to do with sex. So, we've got a couple of Woo Zealand stories, um, and they're both Susie. Susie was looking at Eye Right, and this is an eye correction.
2: Revolutionising vision recovery without contact lenses, glasses or laser surgery. Oh,
0: right, I'll throw my glasses away now, and then you can explain how it works.
2: Discover how one test, one eye test with an optometrist can start you on the way to recovering your eyesight naturally without laser surgery. Go without glasses, contact lens, or laser surgery and see the world clearly again. Eye Right Vision Recovery is the safe choice in vision recovery training and is effective for short-sightedness, long-sightedness, weak eyesight, and unbalanced foci. Foci? Foci, probably. Um, Eye Right Vision Recovery have developed unique optical equipment and an advanced training method to recover your vision without any physical contact with your eyes during our you use our unique technology during appointments twice a week over a six month period but only if you're under 30 oh safe and natural and da 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 da. so um this all sounds fantastic um unfortunately there's no evidence has been released as to what this training session is what, what how it works or anything like that and um so naturally the new zealand association of optometrists have started asking to see this evidence and um been told that it, is, um, that it has an optometrist reviewing the results, but findings won't be available until later this year. Um, the uh, New Zealand Association of Optometrists have um, complained to the um, Advertising Standards Authority saying that the ads are misleading because they can't provide any substantiation of the claims or they're likely to mislead consumers because they aren't substantiating their claims. And certainly if you ask them for their evidence, they don't provide any. And their complaint has been upheld.
0: I was going to say, that sounds like a bit of a no-brainer.
2: So it's an Auckland-based company, um, and the the programme costs in excess of $5,000 for their sixth month go and do some things. Um, Yeah, so it will be interesting to see when they release their evidence what it is. What I just found hilarious, though, is on the um, consumer website that, that um, mentions the story, somebody has uh, written, has posted in saying, Eye exercises are brilliant. I've done eye exercises and they are very good for you. I was able to see more clearly as the exercises de-stress your eyes and relax them. There,
1: is, there, there is some truth to that.
2: There is, but wait, 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 wait. After eight weeks, I had an examination, and my optometrist found a very slight difference, but not significant enough to change my
3: prescription.
1: (laughs) 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 So this is their their number one supporter, is it? Well, yes. (laughs) Slight difference. I I have a feeling that the way I see it is that it's unlikely that this particular treatment is going to produce dramatic results. But if you do the appropriate exercises on your eyes and you're at some developmental stage where your, your eyes would benefit from exercises, then exercises can help. Oh, okay. Um, and, and as a person so who prevent has you from glasses, glasses more for a l- large portion of my life. I remember when I was young going to the optometrist and I had a lazy eye and and actually doing exercises every day actually improves.
3: Because mm, it's muscles that hold the. Yeah. So you yeah. can strengthen but, your but, muscles. But, but,
1: but there's no way that you're going to take somebody who's got um, a, sort of a genetic...
3: Or degenerative.
1: Or degenerative yeah. condition and allow them to throw away their glasses. And mm. to me it just sounds but like You can scam. throw
3: away $5,000. Yeah.
0: Well, you can with
1: something like laser surgery. Yes, you can yeah, totally. But, but, that was, but yeah, obviously, but you're not going to be able to do this by exercising. Uh, by exercising.
0: You know what I saw years ago? I must have been a kid, probably ten, 11ish, in a pharmacy. They had a big bin with a big sign saying Pro- "Prove your eyesight," and what they were selling you was a pair of glasses, which were basically just black plastic with maybe thirty little holes drilled in it. Yeah, and you'd put the glasses on and you look through these tiny little holes. It's very, very difficult to focus on anything, but they was, I think, possibly doing a similar job. Mm, training they your were training eye your muscles. muscles, muscles yeah, to do yeah. something. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen those for years. Obviously, they got withdrawn. And, um, and then when there was <laughs> the X-ray glasses
1: that you could buy in the back of the cartoon, Meg. Similar principle, perhaps.
0: Okay, so that's Watch quite right. Yeah, we'll, we'll let you know if the research turns out to be good. Unlikely. And Susie wants to talk about the Weekend Herald again. Yeah, so... Rant a little bit, perhaps?
2: No, no, I'm not no. going to rant today. Um, I, I often rant, at least in private, um, about a columnist um, who writes the column Fit and Well for the Weekend Herald. And so she, obviously, every week goes and does something, and it's, it's often something something scammy. Anyway, um, today the title is Itching to Know More. Um, Jill South goes straight to the top advice on her annoying allergies and learns how to deal with wine blush. But I'm going to ra- read her first sentence. I've decided that when I need advice on health, I'm just going to go to the academic leader in the field. So that's what she says. So she's she's actually gone to see somebody. She's, she was talking about asthma and allergies this week, and she's gone to see somebody at Auckland University who is an asthma and allergy specialist. And all I'm going to say is I'm going to keep this and then the next time she spouts some nonsense, I'm going to be throwing it back in her face. That's all I'm going to say. And we'll leave it there and we'll see how she gets on. Okay. <laughs> She's
3: right, be
1: shaking in her boots.
2: <laughs> not.
1: And from that
0: very clearly and not at all ranty uh, contribution from Susie, we're going to go on our favourite segment.
3: <laughs> her favourite and mine.
0: Susie rants about the Ponsonby News.
2: Oh, do you know, I'm actually getting quite tired of this, because it's it's quite easy, but you know, it's it's like every month it's the same, and it's starting to wear me down, and I know you people probably don't want to hear this, but... <laughs> do
0: you think it's possible that the Ponsonby News editors don't listen to our podcast?
2: Maybe you're right. God, how are we going to change that? Do you think maybe they
3: just write the magazine for Suzy? <laughs>
1: Well, I think I possibly
2: am one of the only people who reads it as avidly as I do, and from page to page, as soon as it appears. <laughs> it's
1: not designed to be read like that,
2: oh, Susie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's there's a couple of things I'm going to mention. The first is um, that it just it continues to peddle medieval treatments. So yeah. um, I'm going to refer to him as Mr. Adjit, because he's not a doctor. Um, so Mr. Adjit, um of Planet... Oh, I can never say this! Ayurveda! Ayurveda! Ayurveda. I mean, this, this month, he's talking about pouring hot oil onto people's heads. And what? surprisingly, he says, um, although many people can do this kind of thing, you really should come to a professional, yeah, to pour hot oil on your head anyway. It's cheap,
0: it's and if it's done Are they talking about hot oil or warm oil? Because hot oil sounds like a really, really <laughs> stupid idea.
2: Well, he doesn't say how hot it is.
0: No, that's he why you have to says, go to a professional. You know,
2: and that's why you have to go to a professional. He doesn't tell you the price either, I bet. No, I bet it's bloody expensive. Anyway, so that's what he's he saying. He doesn't saying. offer that
0: as a service, does he? Yes. Well, yeah. Oh, what he's a surprise. You you have this
3: yeah. oil poured down um, on your what he's,
2: uh, what he's worried about, though, is that other people do too, and it's not the same. So you need oh, to go so to his should because, go because he's got a special oil. At an a, And he's, the selection, the temperature, and the flow are all really important.
1: Is it extra virgin? And the, in the <laughs> herbs that he puts in it are,
2: Helen has has a, a column on winter immunity. <sighs> uh, all I'm going to say for this is that, of course, the acupuncturist says, "Oh, if you you know you should come and have some preventative acupuncture because this will keep your immune system in check by giving your wei chi a huge boost." <sighs> anyway, they're all crazy people. Um, my favourite person, the vitamin peddler, John Appleton. Uh, I was really interested to read his column because it starts with a few thoughts on vitamin G, and I thought, "Gosh, vitamin G! I haven't heard of this one before. This is really interesting." Um, it turns out it's even more interesting because it's a free one, and so it's not one that he can peddle on his on his website. Um, anybody want to guess what G stands for in vitamin G? Go on. Not She's God. Swat. No, it's nothing sexual. <laughs> oh, Nathan. Not not God. Definitely no. not God. Who um, is? Grapes. Almost, grounding.
0: How is that almost grapes?
2: Well, it's well, about G R. You natural, know, Natural, Close. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, it's the um, it's the ground. It's the earth. It's It involves reconnecting our body with the energy and electrons that are flowing from the ground we walk on. <sighs> <laughs> I mean, what what do you say to this?
0: Might as well bollocks? call it what vitamin Q E D. You
2: know, yes, it's good. To walk in bare feet, well, depending on what you're walking over, I guess. Um, I mean, certainly you can... class, for example, would yeah. be okay. <laughs> um, so, but it's all just this, you know, nonsense that we're gonna um, reconnect ourselves with the earth, and that enhances our electron flow, and this minimizes the potential for free radical damage because we're filling our bodies with electrons. I mean, it's just. Oh, God, it's just is like it's like verbal diarrhoea. Would you just stop it? Because you're driving me crazy. And I just, I have to stop there before I start crying. Really. They're, they're wearing Don't me worry. down. They're wearing me down. Don't need them, to get, to you. Don't need them to get to you. Just put this
0: out there, but you can cry if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Make for good drama on the podcast. You could um, I'm done. maybe write them another letter.
2: I think I'm going to have to.
0: And tell us what they say.
2: <laughs> Not very much, probably. Be that crazy woman again
0: T- <laughs> tell him about the podcast maybe he'll um, he'll download and listen to the <laughs> episodes <laughs> hi this is Cusp and you're listening to George Robb
3: or the other way around either way whatever it's, it's all good
0: okay so unless anyone else has anything they want to add today's word of the day is oblocutor an oblocutor is one who denies or disputes
1: I oblocute the meaning of that word. (laughs) (laughs) And that just leaves us with the quote, Craig. The quote comes from Mark Twain, and he said, The trouble with the world is not that people know too little, but that they know so many things that ain't so. Nice. I met someone the other day, told me his name was Samuel Clemens.
0: I was like, oh, really? Cool. That's relevant, because that's Mark Twain's real name. So, you've been listening to the Completely Unnecessary Sceptical Podcast. If you'd like to send us a message or some feedback, check out the Contact Us page on our website, nz. I
3: had the percentages here too, but um, you got onto me too quickly. I'm on Google. I didn't want to be on Google.